Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Now we want to welcome a friend of the show. We are going to talk about all of the headlines that were made in 2023 and probably look ahead a little bit to 2024. It is Isaac Avalusea from Axios. He is here with us. And boy, Isaac, what a year. What a year. What was it like for you? What was your top story of the year in 2023? Hi, good morning, Tanya. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. I appreciate you having me back on. Same to uh, you. It, it, it's it's really hard to decide um, between all the news that was uh, made in Philadelphia. I mean, you had much tragedy. Mm. You had many triumphs. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I think just because I was so, so invested in the coverage, I think it was really that uh, the, the the shooting of Eddie Irizarry mm. in Kensington. Um you know, I, I think that that one struck me because wherever I've gone, whether it be Trenton or, or Philadelphia, the issue of body cams has really been something near and dear to my heart. And I really feel like that shooting of Eddie Rosari underscored the lack of transparency in Philadelphia on, on the body cam issue. Right. Um, you know, and, and some of our reporting has kind of followed those threads. Um, you know, Philadelphia, I did kind of a, a sample audit of t- 10 of the top cities in, uh, you know, 10 of the biggest cities in Pennsylvania. And Philadelphia remains one of the worst in terms of releasing its body cam footage to the public. Uh, you know, none of the cities are really that good at it. I think we had like a 25 to 27 percent compliance rate in terms of uh, the data that we were able to compile uh, with uh, cities releasing footage to the public when they request when they're requested under Act 22, but you know Philly is is bottom of the barrel, and um, it took so long for the district attorney's office in the in the city of Philadelphia to push to release that footage. And I understand there are criminal investigations and, and different things that have to be considered and factored in, but um, when you have a family that's searching for answers. Um, when a loved one is killed, I believe that them, they're entitled to more answers and more transparency. And the public, at, by and large, is entitled to, to more answers and more transparency, not less. Well, I think the, 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 the really troubling thing about the body camera issue as it played out in the Eddie Arizari case and in other cases, both here and around the country, is that the whole idea of police wearing body cameras was so that we have more transparency in the work that they do. That is something that is supposed to protect both the police and the public. But if they are not releasing the footage and if half the time uh, the footage is not even available because police officers have either turned the cameras off or say that they can't find it or some other uh, reasonings uh, that have come about in various stories. It really just kind of negates the idea of body cameras in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely, Tanya. And, you know, there was a big um, investigative piece that was in uh, New York Times Magazine not that long ago that had talked about that body cam footage has been presented to the public as this panacea, something that was going to make law enforcement better in terms of transparency, in terms of the types of individuals that were becoming officers, because, you know, you'd have the the camera on at all times filming all their actions and that, you know, this would decrease uh, unnecessary uses of force 
um, unnecessary instances of uh, of negative interactions with the public. And, you know, according to that story, and, and I think some of our, my own experiences and a lot of media members, it, it is not the panacea that it has been presented to be. Um, in, in Philadelphia in particular, uh, you know, I talked to one expert, University of South Carolina law professor, Seth Stoughton, and he had said much of the footage in Philadelphia is not being released and it is collecting, quote unquote, digital dust somewhere on a shelf. Um, and it, the public is not seeing the footage that it was being promised to when Philadelphia introduced its body cam footage and, and spent tens of millions of dollars on it to uh, present as a public as a tool for transparency and accountability. And, and the greater issue here is really the public trust in our law enforcement and their ability to protect and serve as that is what they are supposed to be doing on the job and really in public uh, public services altogether. And that was the case also in the Kim Brady character, uh, the July shooting, where five people were shot dead by character, um, that was probably the story that sticks out for me, among others, because of the fact that it was so devastating, so many lives lost, but also that it exposed some issues with the city's 911 system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any one of these could go, number one, and no one would have any bones about it. Um, those issues remain ongoing. We heard from um, we heard from dispatchers and people in the nine one one radio room this year at a, at a hearing uh, city council. Some of those ongoing issues that continue to permeate, and this kind of this shooting just underscored those issues with you know the error that was made in dispatch that prolonged police uh, from discovering the first victim of that shooting, and and you know possibly it very speculative, but possibly giving them a lead to potentially prevent that tragedy that ensued. Right. And this was the shooting that happened in July where Kim Brady Carragher, who was not even uh, deemed competent to stand trial and is currently being held in a psychiatric facility, um, that they he the, the first individual that he killed maybe 48 or so hours before, or was it 24 hours before, uh, that they went the 911 dispatch sent them to the wrong side of town. So they were sent to an address that was north, I believe, of uh, the shootings and not south. And this is where the people living next door to the first victim said that they heard gunshots. And yet this person, um, Joseph Wamba, was not discovered uh, until after these other shootings had taken place. Now, we don't know for sure that that would have stopped the shootings because they would not have necessarily known who did it. But uh, it is something that is really led to questioning what is happening in the radio room for the 911 operators. And in that hearing, they said they're underpaid, they're overstressed, they don't have any trauma treatment for all these calls that they have to take, that they've hired 300 911 operators in the last couple of years, but 300 or so have also resigned because the job is just difficult. They're not treated well, apparently, and they're underpaid. So it's, again, looking at these systems, how are we able to trust in these systems that are supposed to keep us safe? Yeah. And, and you know, that's the question of the day, right? All these kind of point at this central issue of trust in terms of the public, in terms of the police department. 
And what is it doing and what will it do in 2024 to 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 recapture some of that trust that it's lost? I mean, we will have a, a new police director in Kevin Bethel. Um, he has his plate full of, of tasks, not only in terms of trying to uh, rein in crime, but also, to your point, regaining that trust, uh, addressing the issues in the radio room. And he's going to need cooperation from counsel that, you know, had the hearing and and talked about maybe raising the the salaries from some of those individuals in the radio room. But will that be enough to entice people to uh, take up that job, take up that very heavy mantle, that very heavy crown uh, of public service, given some of the strictures that are still faced in the radio room, even if you address the salaries? Yeah, Joseph Wama Jr., uh, he was killed about 44 hours before the rest of the shootings take place. And uh, yes, they sent... Uh, dispatcher sent police to the north side of 56th Street when he was killed on the south side, obviously in Philadelphia, an important distinction. But if you're not going to also, one of the dispatchers who said that she's been there for 15 or so years was saying that she was the one who was really on the phone the entire time when the two police, uh, the police officer was shot and killed at the Philadelphia airport parking garage and that they really didn't even give her any um, uh, real positive feedback for her being on the line and, and kind of directing things as that happened. And so you've got to wonder what's going on in that radio room. And obviously that's something uh, that has a huge impact on all of us in our, our safety. And again, our trust. And that is the critical thing. So we will have to see, and I think you uh, referenced our uh, new police police commissioner, but another top story this year was obviously the election of Sherelle Parker as the city's 100th mayor and its first black female mayor ever. Uh, what, how do you see that uh, playing out in her initial decision-making so far? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested to hear more from her and see more from her. Um, again, to, to the point about Kevin Bethel, she she, she inherits even more than uh, than Mr. Bethel in terms of the priorities she has to address for the city of Philadelphia, not only in terms of crime, in terms of property, poverty. We have the Sixers arena. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out now that we're having some of those studies done and 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 see how that shakes out, whether the support wanes or 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 coalesces. Um you know, just several things. It, it was it was such an interesting race, right? Uh, a, a Democratic primary that was crowded, uh, big money influence into the race. And she she somehow came out on top. Uh, a lot of people kind of doubted her, maybe thought she was too middle of the road. But I think that's what Philly, Philly voters showed that they wanted. They wanted somebody that was more middle of the road, uh, more moderate, not kind of on the left flank of the party. And, and that's exactly who they elected. And there's also a new city council president in Kenyatta Johnson. So that should be interesting after 12 years under Daryl Clark and how that relationship with Sherelle Parker and Kenyatta Johnson, that seems to be uh, a very critical one going forward. And they weren't always each other's supporters uh, coming into this election. No, I mean, I'm just I'm just interested in Kenyatta from the terms of a reform story, right, from federal corruption and, and bribery charges to now the council president. That's just an interesting storyline in and of itself, you know. 
that's quite the segue uh, and only in a year's time. But it appears that, hey, I mean, he uh, proved his case not once but twice uh, when it came to the federal charges. And so he is now the city council president. And it will be interesting to see how those two are able to work together or not. Let's hope they are able to work together for the greater good. But we don't know. Uh, until obviously they have to work together. And that's when we will have a much better idea. Uh, Sherelle Parker did at her press conference uh, when she was officially recognized as the mayor after the election, she did acknowledge him and she did uh, ask him to come forward. And she said that she looks forward to working with him. So that should be something to watch for sure. Now, it's interesting too that you mentioned 76ers Place, the controversial arena that was big in the news this year, it seems as though the community, not just the Chinatown community, but now the Washington Square West community, there are many parts of the community that this arena would directly impact who are absolutely against it. I don't think that anyone is for it so far, except for the billionaire developers who want to see it happen and maybe the Philadelphia 76ers. How do we see this all working out as we get into a new year and with a new mayor? I'm I'm very interested to see how that plays out, Tanya, because you have big competing interests and you have big um, personalities in terms of the com- the will of the community versus the billionaires that you were talking about. When those two entities clash, who wins? I'm really interested to see because you're seeing such great opposition to it. Is that opposition enough to overcome billionaires trying to impose their will? And you can you can you know, there's obviously people are going to make their arguments for and against it. Uh, a lot of people feel like the the uh, athletic complex with all that constellation of arenas in, in South Philly. Why do you need to move the Sixers arena to uh, a budding Chinatown? You have everything you need in that South Philly complex. You have football, you have basketball, you have hockey. It's a one stop shop. Uh, where you can get all your needs met for athletics and entertainment. And, you know, why uh, why push the Sixers arena that, you know, some people have said is only going to be occupied a certain amount of the, of the time of the year to a different part of the city. Uh, it's an interesting argument on both sides. And I'm, I'm interested to see whose will, who imposes their will and who, who wins the battle of the wills. Well, as we know, it's generally those that have more money and more power who are able to push whatever their agenda is through. But there is such opposition to this. And it also, as you said, is something that, you know, it's kind of like we have something that nobody wants. And then we have something that everybody wants, which is a new bus terminal in Philadelphia. And that was one of the top news stories uh, of the year. I think once I started hosting Reality Check, that was the same month that they closed the downtown bus station to the consternation of the city who was surprised by it. And this was really based on the fact that Greyhound was sold to a German company, Flixbus. Flixbus already has uh, buses where you have the pickup and drop off that are street side. And they said, you know what? Why pay all these fees? We can just close this terminal. 76ers place wants it. So these things are tied together because this is part of the footprint of this proposed 76ers arena. Now, who do you think is going to win when it comes to getting a new bus terminal built? I, I think that one's going to go with Philly. I mean, you've got to make some concessions. And I think Philadelphians, by and large, are, are tough people. And they're going to demand consistency. And they're going to demand answers. And they're going to demand 
a permanent bus station from their from their city leaders and their city officials. And I think that, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to win that one at the very least, if not the 76ers uh, arena. But, you know, I wouldn't doubt Chinatown. They have a history of opposition to different projects that have cropped up over the decades. And they really know how to organize and coalesce behind the issues. They have uh, they have some good resources. There was I, f- I forget the exact name, but there was a uh, a law organization that has already kind of uh, pledged their support for Chinatown and the entities opposing the, the 76ers deal. And, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt if they're able to really they've already shown they're able to coalesce people around an issue and get them interested. So, you know, I wouldn't doubt just given their history of, of, of advocacy that they're able maybe to get it done on a 76ers issue. It's, it's an unpopular issue. And I think that, um, you know, if, if one or two people turn, if, if Sherelle Parker turns her, changes her opinion or, or makes it known one way or another that she's not really in favor of it, you could see the tide turn on that project. However, uh, Madam Mayor is known to be cozy with the building trades who helped get her elected. And they are the other entity that I'm pretty sure wants to see this arena built because the building trades want to see everything get built in the city of Philadelphia. So there is going to be some push and pull community against uh, these larger entities. And again, here we are about to celebrate our 250th birthday or America's 250th birthday in 2026. And and people are saying, in fact, the head of Otis or uh, the, uh, not the head of Otis, but uh, the gentleman who we interviewed from Otis, the Office of Transportation, Infrastructure and Sustainability in Philadelphia, said that he does not believe that that is going to be uh, built before 2026. Although uh, Congress uh, uh, Councilperson School has said that he s- believes that it will be. So once again, Uh, The key thing is how much of a priority is a bus terminal? Is there tax money that we bring in if we have it? Those are all the kinds of things that are going to have to be considered. But it doesn't seem right now until uh, Sherelle Parker takes office that we know whether or not that's a priority for her. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a, a odd situation with that, because, again, uh, bus terminal that everybody seems to want because many people prefer taking the bus and a 76ers arena that nobody seems to want. And yet these are going to be part of the push and pull of this new administration. Now, how about our senator saying that he's no longer a progressive? Uh, we're talking John Fetterman. What do you make of that? I, I don't know what to make of that, Tanya, just because I don't even know what to make of the word progressive anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think with the shifting polarity in the parties and the left is m- more leftist and the right is more extreme. It's like, what is progressive anymore? What does that word mean? And I know at some point, Fetterman embraced this idea of being a progressive Democrat and he's kind of like walked that back. But I think uh, we're just kind of at a loss for what that word, what that word really even means anymore. It's just a buzzword. And I don't know, like uh, to me, progressive just means I, I look at it in the general sense. Is it a common sense policy? Does it do the greatest amount of good for the most people? But not everyone kind of looks at that term uh, the same way. And, and, you know, I think that kind of speaks to why, 
uh, Fetterman is kind of walking back this idea that he's a, I'm sorry, that he's a progressive Democrat, right? What does it mean to be a progressive Democrat anymore? Well, I think you have a point, Isaac. Uh, I, I, I guess we will find out whether his policies will be ones of the people uh, and that will be best for those he represents or whether he takes a real uh, a real uh, left <laughs> in some of those policies, pardon the pun, or is he going to take a right in the policies? We don't know yet, but we will see. It's going to be an interesting 2024. Thank you so much for all the contributions that you've made to Reality Check and for being a great friend of the show and a great reporter. Looking forward to see what you're going to be bringing to us in the next year. Thank you, Tanya. I apologize for all the extra curricular noise. It's the holiday season. Everyone's bustling about. I appreciate you having me on all year long and uh, happy holidays and a, a bright and merry 2024. The same to you. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 